All right. Well, good morning to you. I hope you are enjoying this Family Day weekend and uh, planning on doing something special and fun and uh, refreshing, I hope, for you and your family and perhaps some friends tomorrow. Always great to have a long weekend. And uh, as has already been mentioned, let's please pray for uh, Patricia and Mark Pickett as Patricia's mom passed away just a few moments ago. And that's why Mark couldn't be on our worship team. He was ready to go and then just needed to be with family, of course. So we'll pray for the Pickett family, for God's comfort and peace to come, and then as well for, um, for Kate, who, who lost her brother over the weekend as well. So it's not easy when we lose the people we love. And uh, thanks be to God for the comfort of the Spirit and for the friends and the community of faith that are there for us. And uh, so we'll remember them in our prayers. Um, Lent is uh, beginning this week. Those of you who are new to the church uh, or perhaps um, unfamiliar with some of the terms, we are part of a movement of um, about 2.2 billion of us on the planet. And uh, so though there might be 500 or so here this morning, uh, we're part of a massive community, a massive family. And um, there are different traditions and ways of celebrating uh, our common faith. And the word Lent really comes from the Latin term for lengthen, to lengthen of days. So in the springtime, the days get longer. Isn't that great news? Uh, Lenten. So it's a short form for that. So Lent, and and we're we're celebrating again this season of fasting, of um, repentance. And that's a, a biblical term for turning toward God, turning away from sin and evil and toward God. And uh, there are some in our Christian tradition in the Catholic uh, community who actually on Ash Wednesday, will you'll notice that some will have some dust on their forehead and um, they will gather and, and it will be a reminder just so that we can kind of um, celebrate the symbolism and the significance of the moment. For them, it's a reminder of their mortality, right? From the dust we came into the dust we will return. It's a a reminder and an affirmation of our mortality. All of us have an expiry date. We don't like to talk about it in our world while we're alive and enjoying the health and strength of our day-to-day experience. But there is a day that all of us will breathe our last, this side of heaven, unless God comes for us first. And, um, and it's also, they, they'll make the sign of the cross, which is, and the priest will ask the question, do you believe in the gospel? And so when you see people with dust on their foreheads on Ash Wednesday, it's a uh, reminder again for a certain part of our Christian community that um, they're reminding themselves of their mortality and that they do believe the gospel. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. We actually, in our tradition, we celebrate a reading plan during the Lent season. Um, we believe scripture is inspired by the one true God and that he has something to say to us. And we would love to have you join us. You can head over to our website, a website, kingstreet.org. Under events, you will find a, a Bible reading plan, um, which is a Lent uh, emphasis, and it's by the people from Mosaic. We'd love to have you join us. I've already registered for it. We usually have over 100 or more people who do this, 40 days of reading scripture together. It's a wonderful thing to do it together, and there's opportunities to connect. So if you don't have the YouVersion Bible reading app, you can get that and then join us for this, uh, this common time of reading Scripture together. Okay, so today we're continuing our series of Scripture talks called Rediscovering Love. 
Now, if you happen to be married or in a romantic relationship, I am super glad you came today. I'm super glad you come every week. But this is going to be one of those uh, teachings that I I hope will uh, stay with you for the rest of your life. Literally, I mean that. There's some incredibly insightful stuff that's going to come from this teaching. And then those of you who are not in romantic or married relationships, um, these are just principles that have so much relevancy for every friendship, every relationship that we find ourselves in. And um, so we're going to take a look at the... um, the four horsemen of the relational apocalypse. It sounds kind of doomsday-ish, doesn't it? That there are some who are coming for us. And, uh, but it really is a powerful, insightful way of considering some of the yellow flashing lights that threaten the welfare of our relationships. Uh, John and Julie Gottman, uh, Dr. John Gottman, actually, he and his wife, Julie, um, ran a love lab in Seattle, Washington, where they observed couples and uh, with just a hair under 94% accuracy can predict whether a couple will remain married or get divorced. 94%. Isn't that wild? I think it's wild. Anyway, uh, that's pretty accurate. So if you're sitting here today, you can hold on to your spouse's hand if they happen to be with you and say, let's take inventory today and see how we're doing because we want to build a relationship that lasts a lifetime, right? Every couple signs up to say, let's just do this for a little while, and then we'll just move on. Everybody says, I want to share my life with you. But life happens, and sometimes relationships go through the, uh, what do we want to call it, just the wine press of life, and we get squeezed, and we feel the, the challenges that go with, uh, with the pressures of life. And, uh, and if you're here today, and you've been in a marriage relationship, and, and the marriage failed, Uh, I want to speak words of grace and peace over you today. Um, As we've mentioned already today, there are no perfect people. There are no perfect relationships. And uh, the ideal is that we would step into marriage relationships that would last a lifetime. The real is that life happens. And sometimes things don't always go according to plan. And uh, God does say in his word, the prophet Malachi said that he hates divorce. And the reason why he hates divorce is because two people have become together, have come together and have become one. And whenever that's torn apart, there's never a clean break. There's always a tearing apart. And God doesn't like divorce because of what it does to people. He doesn't categorize people as tier one, tier two um, individuals. He only is deeply concerned about us because he wants what's best for us. And so we say around King Street that there is life after divorce. If by chance you're living in the domain of the real, life happens, you felt a squeeze, it didn't go according to plan. Well, God is not done with you because the ideal wasn't fully realized. And uh, so I want to declare that right from the very beginning today because in the past we haven't always done a great job um, of affirming people in the real So um, I want to make sure I do that crystal clear today. Uh, So if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to recite our passage that we're taking with us during this series, Rediscovering Love. It's a process that is ongoing, and we don't just discover it. We discover it, and then we continue to rediscover it. Um, Solomon writes these words, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. Would you recite them with me? Here we go. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, so a husband and a wife who invite the third strand of the one true God to wrap himself around the couple and intertwine himself in the marriage union will find that there will be a strength that's provided for them that's beyond the capacity for just two individuals to muster up on their own. And so uh, being a person of faith, I hope you'll come on Easter Sunday because I'm doing some study already on the role that faith communities play in helping people live a tremendous life. You will be shocked to see the impact. This is um, empirically researched uh, studies that have talked about how people who are people of faith um, have stronger marriages. And Ecclesiastes chapter four is a huge preview into that because it's as though God wraps himself and intertwines himself among the two people in their marriage relationship. Uh, David and Jonathan, not just for married couples in this room today or those who are in romantic relationships. David and Jonathan, two good friends in the Older Testament. There's this passage about Jonathan and David, which is really, really cool. I have had a wonderful friend in my life named John, and we both started ministry together. We served at the very same church, and on my first Sunday, the lead pastor prayed over us and said, make them like David and Jonathan. And we have been like David and Jonathan, literally. It was one of those beautiful moments in time. He is my brother I never had. He is my closest friend. I give thanks to God for him. But David and Jonathan in the Bible, there's this passage that says, and Jonathan helped David find strength in God. Our relationships are intended to help all of us get better. I say this in in often marriage ceremonies, that we have been given to one another to open a door for each other to a bigger room, to usher our beloved to a beautiful table that they would never sit at without us being a part of their lives. We are all intended to add value all over the place, whether it's our workplaces and our communities and our homes and our churches, in our marriage relationships and our friendships. We're supposed to make other people's lives better. And so David did that for, for uh, Jonathan and Jonathan did that for David. Jonathan helped David find strength in God. And it's the very same principle found in Ecclesiastes chapter four. All right, so we're gonna take a look at some teaching from Jesus about marriage. And there's a bit of a context here. Back in the first century, Jesus is teaching, and if we don't understand what's happening here, we might perhaps misunderstand what Jesus is saying. But there were two different schools of thought back in the first century about marriage. There was the school of Hillel, and the school of Hillel, a rabbinical school, um, they took the posture of uh, divorce and marriage as being uh, sort of disposable. Uh, where if your spouse burnt the toast, it was uh, justification for termination of the marriage, right? If they had bad breath on occasion, you could just say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm out of this marriage relationship. We would all be divorced, wouldn't we? It's just the way it would be. Uh, what it, whatever um, displeasure the person experienced, it would be grounds for terminating the relationship. So that was a school of Hillel. Then there was a school of Shimei, Shimei. And, and that school was, no, it, marriage covenant was really, really important. And there would only be on very, very, very rare circumstances would a, a divorce 
um, and prompting a remarriage, would that ever be permissible? And so it's with that in mind that Jesus is asked these questions. So we'll pick it up, Matthew 19, the first nine verses. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of uh, Judea to the other side of the Jordan, and large crowds followed him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Now, some Pharisees or religious leaders, they're aware of this debate between the two schools, the rabbinical schools. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So they're saying, are you on the side of Hillel? Does burnt toast qualify as bad breath, legitimate grounds? Any form of displeasure, is that okay? And here's what Jesus does. He points the religious leaders back to the text, back to the design. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So he's making an argument from design, and he's making an argument to say, um, these two people have become one. You, you would be sort of divorcing yourself, he says. So Jesus is going after this oneness aspect that we talked about last week when it comes to marriage. Now the religious leaders are not done yet and they're going after an answer to the question. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And this is where we'll just use this as a launch pad for this morning's teaching. Moses permitted, underline the word permitted, Moses permitted or made an allowance. He permitted you to divorce your wives. And these five words are huge because your hearts were hard. So Jesus is saying at the very beginning, the ideal is that a man would leave his mother and father, be united to his wife. The two become one flesh, oneness, unity. And, and, and that is a union that should stay intact for till, till separated at death. And, and then he says, but humans' hearts get hard. Sometimes we don't always give ourselves to the right things. We, we get off track. We mistreat one another. We make bad decisions. We dishonor the Lord. We dishonor the people in our lives. And he says, it wasn't supposed to be this way, but because your hearts were hard, God made an allowance. God made an allowance. Divorce is an allowance. Um, it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone, here's Jesus now, and he's not siding with Hillel, he's shy, siding with Shimei. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So Jesus, the teaching here is there should be very um, rare circumstances that would cause the breaking down of the marriage covenant. The language that he uses here, he says, except for marital unfaithfulness, I believe it is. Except for sexual immorality, in the Greek word it is porneia, which is grave sexual sin. Um, but it's the breaking of the marriage covenant. So here's Jesus. This is important for us to understand. Jesus makes an allowance, an accommodation for people whose hearts are hard. Because this was what Moses had made an allowance for in the Torah, in the Older Testament. And then Paul writes further in the New Testament, 
And he says, by the way, if your spouse abandons you, you are no longer bound. Paul makes an accommodation. So I just want to pause there for a second. I'm only introducing the accommodation because it's important to set up the teaching for this morning. I'm not saying that God is writing blank checks because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, Jesus sided with Shimei and he said, except for, and so he held to a strict high regard for marriage, which is what we hold to around King street community church, but we can break the marriage covenant all sorts of ways. Jesus talks about porneia, grave sexual sin. Paul writes about abandonment. You know, if somebody has abused somebody and they are reckless with their actions and they are dehumanizing the other, my question for you is, have they violated the marriage covenant? God in Jesus holds out something for us because he knows what we're capable of doing. And he says, don't lose sight of the ideal. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Those are the words of Jesus. And then he says, oh, by the way, I know that your hearts are hard. And there are times when we mistreat each other in such grave ways that the people are not able to continue on. And so he takes away the shame when people come to the end. But as the family of churches known as the Pentecost Assemblies of Canada, we have sided with Jesus with Shimei and said that under very unusual circumstances, should that be pursued. But there are moments when it is pursued and Jesus makes allowance for it. Okay, so I'm just saying that today to set us up to say that when people get divorced, it's not the unpardonable sin. There are wounds, there's damage, but Jesus is the great redeemer of all things, including human relationships that fail. And that's very important for us to keep in mind. All right, ready for the four horsemen of the apocalypse? This is not a teaching on the book of Revelation. It is a marriage teaching. These are four um, important words. If you write these down today, I think they'll serve you well across every relationship, including marriage. The first one is this defensiveness. We're going to take a look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. John and Julie Gottman have discovered this 94% accuracy around how marriages fail. And then we'll take a look at how the gospel can actually help us defeat the four horsemen. So here we go. Number one, defensiveness. A defensive posture is adopted when we feel threatened or when we feel a need to self-protect in some way. When we adopt a defensive posture, it's when we feel that somebody else is a threat to us in some way. And when we fail, perhaps, to take responsibility, we become defensive, right? It's all on them, so we protect. Um, this happened early on in the, in the revelation in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. The man said, after they had sinned, God comes looking for the first man, the first woman. He says, where are you? In verse 9. And the man said, after he was hiding... He says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. That's a defensive posture, right? I'm guilty, but not as much as she is. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Everybody is passing the buck. Humans have a tendency to self-protect, to blame others and to become defensive. When relationships are up against the ropes, it's so human for us to kind of protect and become defensive. And when we do that, we are actually probably refusing to own our part of the problem. 
or the situation. Um, defensiveness can occur when we feel psychologically or perhaps physically vulnerable and overwhelmed. We feel flooded. One response can be this, to pull away, run away, or to perhaps blow up. Uh, maybe you've done both. You become defensive, so you just go at it. The lid comes off, and here comes just a lot of volume. Or we try to wall the other person off, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But here's a great question to live with. What is it like to be on the other side of me? When somebody is having an interaction with me, what is it like to be on the other side of Dave? I know what I think it's like to be on the other side of Dave, but what is it really like to be on the other side of Dave? When we have humility and we're teachable, we look to learn. What is it like? What can I do better? Do I get defensive? Do I blame? Do I self-protect? Or am I open? Do I adopt an open posture? Say, what is it that I can learn? What is it that I can take responsibility for? But when couples are known for their defensive posture, it's one of the horsemen, and we ought to be aware of it. All right, so here's the second one, criticism. Criticism. It's a temptation to spend energy finding fault, right? This is what it means for us to be human. We've been given minds that work a certain way. We have taste buds. We have opinions. We have sometimes strong opinions. Uh, But we can move toward critique very, very easily. Um, There's something painful and liberating about taking responsibility for ourselves and being open-minded and open-hearted towards other people and being solution-minded. Uh, I find, you know, watching the Super Bowl, uh, was that last Sunday or the Sunday before? It was last Sunday, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I find um, watching the Super Bowl, I can pick out all the mistakes. And it's like, why couldn't that guy find that receiver 30 yards down the field, right? He, well, why, it wasn't a tight spiral. He could have found a tight spiral. He's got these six-foot-four you know, defensive linemen in his face with their hands up. Um, There's a lot going on. Things are moving fast. He's trying to look between their arms, find the receiver. People are running. There's defensive strategies to provide interceptions. It's easy for all of us to armchair quarterback, isn't it? And we look at what other people do, and we can easily criticize or critique and find fault with others. And Jesus knew this about us. That's why he said in Matthew's gospel, chapter seven, do not judge. This is a directive. Do not judge. He said this because he knows we have a tendency to do it. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way, here's what Jesus is saying. If you end up being that kind of a person, here's what will happen. You will end up creating the kind of environment, the kind of climate that when you are picking at everybody else, guess what will happen? You'll get picked at too. Nobody wants to be picked at. We want to pick, but not necessarily be picked at. Jesus says this. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use it, it will be measured to you. Now, criticism and complaint are not the same thing. I think every spouse has the right to complain. Pastor Dave gave you the right to complain today when you go home later today. A complaint is different than a criticism. A criticism goes something like this. How come you always? How come you never? My mother was right about you when she said X, Y, Z. Oops, did I just say that, right? (laughs) Criticism takes out a wide brush or roller and says, I am going to put you in this wide scope and I'm going to paint you with this brush. You always, you never. When we use those words, we are moving towards criticism in uppercase letters. It's problematic. Complaint can be this. 
Okay, here's the difference. Criticism says, how come you never take out the recycling and the garbage? I always have to do it. That's a criticism. That's problematic. That's the second horseman in the apocalypse. A complaint is, you know, honey, um, if you could help me on Tuesday nights, maybe we could do it together. Both of us could do it because I've been doing it a lot lately and it would be a wonderful thing if together we can do it because it's becoming a bit of a burden for me just to do it always on my own. Would you be able to help me with that? Do you like that one? That's a complaint. And you start with honey, of course, before you share it. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with asking for something or even with humility asking for changed behavior. But when we attack the other person, we are running into one of the horsemen and it's problematic. Nobody likes to be criticized, but hopefully we all have enough humility and character to absorb a complaint. All right, here's the third one, stonewalling. You know what stonewalling is? It's when we just block out the other. It, it, it can uh, be closely associated with silent treatment. You know, we're upset. There's a conflict. Conflict always presents opportunities, but if we mismanage the conflict, it can take us backwards in our relationship. So always think about conflict as an opportunity, all right? What can I learn? How can we grow together? Um, timeouts are not bad. P and I have a timeout rule. We can feel the temperature rising. It's like, oh boy, uh, you know, it's time to go to our corners, right? And it's just sort of like, you know, let's just take a break. A 10-minute window, half hour, go for a walk, just go to another room, whatever it might be. Let's just not talk about this for a little bit. Have you found that? If you just have a little bit of time go by, all of a sudden perspective starts to emerge. Starts to. It takes a little while sometimes. But perspective starts to emerge. We let the temperature go down a little bit. And uh, now there's, there's a difference, right, between um, stonewalling someone and taking a time out or letting things cool down. Stonewalling is when you say, I'm going to build a wall between you and I, and I'm shutting you out. You're going to be talking to me, and I'm going to be going, yeah, what's that? Um, I'm doing something else over here, or I'm just going to leave the room while you're talking to me. It's almost like I treat you like you're invisible. When we get into that kind of an environment with somebody, we actually end up um, creating literal walls in the relationship. We wall each other out. This can happen in the workplace can happen in our neighborhoods, sporting teams. It can happen in local churches. We just don't want to talk to that person. We just treat them like they're not there. We'll walk by them, not acknowledge them. It can happen in homes. Every now and then, P and I will go out and we'll watch a couple having supper. We like to people watch. And we'll say, oh, they're not having a good meal over there. Um, and their head's down. They're on their phones. They're looking out the window. It's almost like they're treating the other person as though they weren't even at the meal. Like they're invisible, stonewalling. Um, Paul understood this in the New Testament. He says, in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't wall the person off and do not give the devil a foothold. So there are times when we can take a time out. There's a time for us to cool down. But stonewalling one another is problematic because we're cutting each other off. And when that happens, it's the third rider, the third horseman coming for our marriage. And it can be a big problem. Stonewalling can include the silent treatment, lack of eye contact, pretending to be busy when someone's talking to you, not responding to texts or emails or voicemails, um, doing things 
that you think are or trying to communicate are more important than the person who's speaking with you, it's a real problem. And we do it often because we've been hurt. We're defensive. It's part of our defensive posture. And then finally, here's the last one. And this is the biggest of them all. Contempt. Contempt. Uh, David's wife. In the Older Testament, David loved God wholeheartedly. He was a man after God's own heart. He didn't get it right all the time, but he loved the Lord a great deal. And, and there was this moment in time when he was so enthusiastic about the Ark of the Covenant that was coming back to Jerusalem that he went out and he danced before the presence of the Lord in a rather undignified way. I'm not sure what that looks like, but he was dancing in a way that... Um, his wife, Michael, um, was rather concerned with his undignified, unkingly way of celebrating before the Lord's presence. Here's what the text tells us about this marriage relationship. When she, which is Micah, sorry, not Michael, Micah, saw King David skipping around and laughing with joy or dancing in an undignified manner, she was filled with contempt for him. She saw him in a certain way and said, I don't like that I don't like you. She built a contemptuous frame around him and labeled him. That's what happens with contempt. Contempt is eye-rolling, sarcasm, name-calling, abusive language, making fun, perhaps mimicking or mocking the other person. When we do that, we are flirting with one of the horsemen that threatens the welfare of our relationships. And so keep an eye on the body language. Rolling of the eyes is a problem. Um, mimicking, mocking. You know, if there's a sense in which there's sarcastic name calling or anything like that that would be inappropriate language used um, is a sign that we are stepping over the line toward contempt. Now, in our society, unfortunately, we can be contemptuous with one another. Um, this is something that is real in marriage relationships. How can people, and this is what Solomon writes, how can a young man and a young woman make marriage last or make their marriage last for a lifetime? It was one of the four questions that Solomon asked. Uh, it was an important question. It was a mystery to him. How can a snake move across the rock? How can a, a ship float on the, on the high seas? And he associates that with the same question. Of how can a young woman and a young man get along for a lifetime. There will be many moments, no raising of hands, but there will be many, many moments if you build a relationship with someone for a number of years that moves into decades. There will be times when there will be rolling of the eyes. There will be moments when there'll be the crossing of the arms. There will be moments when you will be tempted to mimic perhaps and hopefully not move into mockery. And, and all the other things. But there are two people who come from different backgrounds who try to make marriage or a relationship work. And it is a lot of work. And so this teaching today is not doomsday teaching. It's a reminder that we should be on the lookout for the approaching hoofbeats uh, that are coming for us, that threaten our well-being and the welfare of our marriages and all of our relationships. But it's not just in our marriage relationships. Um, in our society as a whole, there is contempt all over the place. It's Black History Month. I, I think we owe it to our black brothers and sisters to acknowledge that today. It's Black History Month, and unfortunately, they have been in the crosshairs of the contempt of many other people groups in our society, and, and they have suffered. They have been placed to the margins. They have been mistreated, 
and and it has been part of their historical story. And uh, I am deeply committed with our staff team here at King Street Community Church to not express anything that would even resemble anything but equal opportunity church life. Uh, contempt should be banished from um, a church community. Racism should never be found. It's when we actually justify ourselves and then we sit in judgment on others. And sometimes it can be a whole people group. And so during this Black History Month, I believe I owe it to us as one of our four missional initiatives that we would be intergenerational and multi-ethnic. And when we see some of the stuff that happens south of the border, and it's not just south of the border, it happens here too. When we see the way people treat one another, and it can be across ethnicities, but on this Black History Month, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that our black brothers and sisters have not always been treated with great respect and dignity. And that needs to stop and needs to be celebrated. We need to celebrate each other. Can I get an amen in this church family for that? Okay. Okay. So contempt thrives on negative thoughts. It can ultimately become negative in its hurtful words. Contempt paints the other person with a broad brush of disdain rather than love, approval, and acceptance. Contempt can emerge out of a place of superiority. Humor can be a passive aggressive expression of contempt. Laughter at anybody else's expense is always offside. Always offside. And so we want to be the kinds of people who are, who are again, moving towards love and acceptance. Um, okay, so the gospel. Let's finish with this, and then we'll wrap up on this Family Day Sunday. The gospel helps us defeat the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The gospel is fantastic news for everyone. For those of us who are here today, we put our saving faith in Jesus. And the gospel is tremendous news for societies who don't even understand what the word gospel means. Here's the four areas, the way the gospel can help us with the four horsemen. Number one, really quickly, the gospel helps us with criticism and complaint by practicing gratitude and affirmation. The gospel infects every person who says yes to the leadership of Jesus by orienting themselves around gratitude toward God, first and foremost, for all that he's generously given to us, especially in Christ. And then our life is just lived out of that overflow Out of the overflow of our hearts, we don't speak words of critique and judgment. We speak words of acceptance and affirmation. So the gospel helps us with this um, temptation and challenge to be critical in our marriage relationships and in our relationships, period. Secondly, the gospel helps us with contempt by praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Give us today our daily bread. Um, Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All the way through this Lord's Prayer, there's plurality. We are sons and daughters of the one true God. My wife and I, before we are husband and wife, you know where I'm going with this from a spiritual point of view. We are brothers and sisters in Christ with a common father in the gospel. And so my wife... um, Her father is my heavenly father too. And I remember speaking with one young person once when I was in youth ministry who was mistreating his girlfriend quite severely. And I warned him gently. I said, be very careful. Her father is the father that we have in heaven and he keeps good books. Right? How we treat our wife, how we treat our husband is a reflection of our relationship with God. Before we are husband and wife, we are brother and sister in Jesus, right? Uh, thirdly, 
The gospel helps us with our defensive posture and flooding by recognizing that we are called to live like Jesus by being humble and not only looking out for our own interests, but giving strong consideration to the interests of others. Philippians chapter two. And so with humility, we posture our hearts before the Lord and before uh, those we are in relationship with, not demanding others to see things just like us, but to be the kinds of people who have an open heart to say, what do I have to learn here? And then here's the last one. The gospel helps us with stonewalling because Jesus is building a kingdom and the dividing wall of hostility is being broken down between Jews and Gentiles and between every other person who sets himself up against the Lord. Jesus himself came to break down every barrier that separates us from him and from us from one another. I love this from John Gottman. He says, one of the saddest reasons a marriage dies is that neither spouse recognizes its value until it's too late. One of the saddest reasons a marriage dies is that neither spouse recognizes its value until it's too late. I was preparing for this scripture talk this morning and I was going through all the things my wife and I have gone through over the last number of years. Uh, It's been not quite three decades where I've been married to my wife and thanks be to God for her patience with me. Um, And uh, I have been given a tremendous gift with my wife. Um, But we have walked through some tremendous things together. Um, there have been some divorces on my wife's side of the family. We've walked through those together. There has been some, a, a relocation to Kelowna, BC. We did that together. Uh, there have been health challenges on different sides of the family. We did that together. We did youth ministry together. We served at some fantastic churches together. We walked through all sorts of things together. And the last thing I would want to do is tear that up and start over with somebody else who wouldn't know any of those almost three decades of my story and my experiences. Now, I know that that's not all of your story here. You would have preferred to stay in the marriage relationship and somebody else said, I want to head for the exit. And they felt justified in doing so. And you felt wounded in the process severely. And so um, I'm empathetic toward that today. That is deeply painful. I'm glad I belong to a church that emphasizes divorce care, grief share, all of our losses, that Jesus wants to enter into them and repair us and help us to be the best version of ourselves by giving us as much wholeness as is humanly possible this side of heaven. And so we celebrate the ideal. Many of you are doing that with me today. Others of you are living in the real. And there are some wounds and there are some scars and there are some pain. But remember this. God is the great repairer of human hearts. And if you're up against the wall today, remember this, that you're not alone. Even though you may feel alone, God is with you. God is with you and he'll give you everything you need. And if you're tempted to head for the exit and quit on your marriage relationship, can I be a voice, I hopefully a calm voice of spiritual reason for you? Seek as much help as you can before you decide that there's no other way except to choose the exit. Exhaust yourself pursuing reconciliation, restoration, and then when all has been done and that's all that's left for you, then may God's grace come to you in its various forms to help you along the way. But don't quit too early. Stay in the game as long as you can and find the supports, pastors, Christians in the church community, 
counselors, people who can come alongside you. Dig in, pray fast, seek the Lord and, and see what he can do. Uh, there are many, many stories of people who have either quit too early and said, if I could go back and do it over again, I would tell people, don't quit so early. Or people who were up against the ropes who fought for their marriage and God did something tremendous. I know it's not easy. There's no one size fits all, but I do advocate today for marriage relationships, recognizing that both the ideal and the real are important to hold in tension. Are you hearing my heart this morning? Okay, good. All right. If you're able, would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you. I can only imagine on a family day weekend with this many people here that there are all sorts of things that you're facing. Um, I want to pray for you. If you're here today and it's not necessarily marriage related at all, it's something else. It could include it, but it's not just that. If you are feeling that you need an infusion, a special infusion of the grace of God to come to you right now, either in your parenting or in your body or in your mind or relationships, finances, whatever it might be, and it might include your marriage relationship. Um, I want to encourage you just between you and me, just a little hand up, um, not even between me and you, between you and God, just as a movement of your body that reflects where your spirit is at today. And I'm not even going to open my eyes. I'm just going to pray for you, wherever you may find yourself in this room today. Father, I, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, thanking you that we have audience with God, that we have a throne of grace that we can approach. And when we are in times of trouble and we're up against the, the rope, so to speak, in life, we have a God who understands, who hears us, who is with us, who is compassionately predisposed to understand our pain and our frustration and the misunderstanding and all the wounded places in our own lives, God. There are many people, I assume today, whose hands are up just saying, I need a special infusion of your grace today. Lord, may wave after wave of your grace, may it be a tsunami that comes to every person today who says, I need your help today, Lord. I need you to come to me in all the ways, God, that are so personal and so private and so real. And I pray that you would give me, Lord, what I need. I'm trusting you today, Jesus. I'm trusting you that you will be enough for me regarding blank that I'm facing in my life. Come to me and give me everything I need. And uh, I pray that, Lord, you would bless every single person here today, the single who are among us, the married, those who are in romantic relationships, those who are not, those who find themselves in families and those who find themselves living alone. We pray for your peace and grace, Lord, to come to all of us. You know what we need. These kinds of weekends can be challenging when we find ourselves perhaps isolated and alone. Uh, may there be a great realization today again, Lord, that your presence is closer to us than we can ever imagine and that we are part of the family of God. Come to us, Lord, and give us what we need today and always. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.